one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 244th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Isaac Brighting. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Carissa Dorson on. She is a cinematographer. She has shot all sorts of things, including things with Matthew Enlow, uh, yeah, my co-host. We, we go way back. Carissa and I shot a bunch of college humor things together and um, and beyond. Yeah, but now she has a new show with Lily Singh that she just shot. She's probably going to work on some other projects with her again in the future. She's done TV, film, commercials, everything, a lot of comedy stuff. She also had this, this like incredible website that we didn't even I didn't even know about until the end of our interview called FunnyPeopleSeriousPhotos.com or potentially SeriousPhotosFunnyPeople.com. It's one of those two. And it is... Uh, it's really good. These awesome photographs that made me sad about my own portraits. <laughs> well, she shot them on a medium format camera and not her. Yeah, but pretty, whatever. pretty nice iPhone. Pretty nice iPhone. Just we just shoot it. And, you know, you know, I have a new camera. Talk about it in the unpaid endorsement. Oh, my goodness. Can I tell you real quick about this cool feature of the Sony a7S three? So you can control it with your smartphone. So my wife every year is like upset with me that I, I didn't figure out a way to get like a family portrait of us for a new year's card or a holiday card or something like that. Um, and we end up just like finding a bunch of photos on her phone and making some crappy collage out of them. But so this year, uh, she's like, I think it makes sense because of like COVID and the quarantine and everything that we are, we do do like a selfie at home. So let's use your new camera and take a photo of ourselves. So what we did is I just put my, my Sony a7S III on a tripod in our front yard, kind of found a shot where the lighting seemed okay. And then you can control it with your smartphone. So I just kind of held my phone behind Kara and you can see the frame. So you can frame yourself up really easily just looking on the phone. And then you just hide the phone, you press the button and it takes a picture and it saves a picture, the copy of the picture on your phone also. So that's cool, man. Yeah. It's like back in the days, you know, when you would like hit that button and the flash would break or whatever. And <laughs> I felt it's so cool. And you can, you can change the aperture, right? You know, settings, do all that stuff from your phone. And I also got this, uh, you know, this Ronin S, Two thing with that one you can uh, have you seen this feature you can connect your phone to the ronin and you can use your phone as like a virtual joystick oh man it's the coolest that is the coolest it's, it's so weird it's like or, or you can even put your phone on a tripod like literally just your phone on a tripod 
and then as you move your phone on the and tripod, remote had it. Yeah, yeah your Ronin will do the same thing. So I can't quite figure out what you would use that for, but maybe you could put your Ronin on. Well, if someone is operating, basically, it's how you get your second operator. So someone's moving, you know, they're focused on, you know, walking a certain direction or whatever. Oh, they're carrying the them. gimbal. Hmm. Yeah, and then the other person is. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's the. <laughs> that's the. <laughs> oh, I literally thought you take the gimbal and you put it like in a hard to reach place. Like I'm going to put this on a shelf and then I can operate it with my tripod from down here. <sighs> nah, bro. No, it's like that's how you get your Goodfellas shots, man. Oh, so you separate the gimbal carrying mm-hmm. from the operating. Interesting. Yeah, so one guy's just running around doing a backflip or whatever. Well, that's useless in a pandemic. I'm the only person here. <laughs> I only want features that are useful for one person. <laughs> one man band style. Um, there you go. Anyway, I don't know. how. Oh, we were talking about portraits and Carissa's awesome website and Carissa's awesome work. And I thought because we do get a lot of emails, and I know we talk about this a lot in the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning like every 10 episodes or so how we choose our guests, why we choose our guests. And I'd love to hear from our listeners if you would like for us to have a different variety of guests. So Carissa is a cinematographer. We we primarily focus on directors because we're directors and we find that it's easy for us to talk to other directors because we can ask them really like nitty gritty deep questions and compare with how we, we work. But yeah, I, th- I think our perspective is that we are... Um directors on directing right so like i think when we started the show there were maybe fewer people doing that sort of thing and i think that as the show has grown maybe we've broadened our horizons a little bit but yeah i think there is the question of directors on directors versus talking to the different people that we collaborate with on a regular basis right so even if we talk to a cinematographer or a costume designer we will talk to them in the guise of like how they interact with a director how what they do is important from a director's point of view to understand. And so with Carissa, one of the reasons we talked to her, even though you've known her, was because she we actually found out about her from a publicist. And we thought it was actually interesting for a DP to have a publicist. And, and she's not the first DP we've met through a publicist. But we found that to be an interesting angle. And she's working on projects that personally, I, I think I didn't even quite realize that you had a relationship with her when... I when we got the info about her and I just thought her project seemed really cool. So I think that would kind of segue me to the next thing that we look for in a guest, which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast is the the middle class of directors, right? Where is it where is the space between the person that like just shot uh edited a video on their iPhone and Steven Spielberg, right? And so I think for our criteria we like to have directors on that make a living as directors and that have it's not their first movie or their last movie. They're they're somewhere in the middle and it is their career. And the reason I feel very strongly about that, and I'll let you chime in in a second, Matt, is because I think our listeners, like they know how to shoot stuff on their iPhone. They know how to make that $3,000 feature. You know, we get emails like five times a week about, hey, we just made a feature for $3,500. We'd love to come talk about it on the show. And like, Sure, we could talk to those people. I think we have talked to a few people like that, but I don't think our listeners are tuning in to find out how they can like get free food for their shoot or get a location. Like, sure, that that's useful, but we want to talk to people. I think our listeners want to know either how in their current career they can level up or move sideways, or maybe they're doing commercials and they want to get into TV or they're doing TV and they want to get into movies. I think that's interesting to our listeners. And I also think knowing how to make money and and have a sustainable career is interesting. So I want to bring them guests 
that are making money and have sustainable careers. I don't want to bring them someone that just did something for the first time unless they revolutionized filmmaking in such an interesting way. Yeah, that that is applicable to everybody that's listening. I, I don't want to talk to the people that are just starting out or the people that are already so established. Like, I'd love to have Edgar Wright on, but for him to come and say, like, well, it was, we only had $40 million, so it was quite a stretch, is like, it's hard to connect to that, you know, mm-hmm. as yeah, a listener. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that there is a, an element of just, like, a slight aspirational part of this whole show where it's like, I think that we are looking for directors or just people in general who we would love to collaborate with or love would love the careers of but they're they're a half step away or or they're contemporaries and it's just like oh this is something that's very interesting to us I, you know i think the other thing you know or and i tease you a lot about like you're constantly looking for the prescriptive teachable moment and i think that those are uh really valuable but the other half of the of the whole thing is like is the story interesting you know, is is this filmmaker story inter- interesting, and therefore will it generate teachable moments? And so, right, is it something we have both heard ends before, of those? Right, right. So, so the super, super, super micro story is a dime a dozen, and so is the Hollywood studio film. You know, maybe literally only, uh, only a dozen <laughs> at this point a year, but but you know, so it's that middle road where people are doing things that maybe we hadn't thought of, or like it's a unique perspective is what we're really looking for. Right. Well, if a first time filmmaker, even a second time filmmaker, got a studio film, I think that would be interesting to us. You know, we just had on the guys that did Palm Springs, which I think was their first kind of big project together. That's interesting to us because we can we love to dissect how they went from making things on their own, you know, renting a camera and raising a few thousand dollars on Kickstarter to make their short film to making a film with a studio or with a big production company with, you know, recognizable talent with distribution. And so to us, that that's the secret spot. So if you're a person that made a film and it's on Amazon Prime because, you know, any movie can be on Amazon Prime or it's got, a, you know, the entire cast and crew is like of a certain ethnicity or a certain ability or something that's interesting about the behind the scenes, but what you've made is not something that like people are interested in, in seeing from like a distribution standpoint, then you're probably like one step too early to come on our podcast. I I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but like we want once, once you take your first thing and someone's like, Oh, this is cool. Like what could you do with a little bit more money or what could you do with like a star attached or what could you do with this piece of technology, that's when we would love to have you on the podcast because we want to hear the story, the beginning, middle, and end of the story, not just the beginning of the story of your directing career. I mean, not the yeah. end either, but the end being that you've made well, it as a, as into a sustainable career. Sure. Yeah, act one of the trilogy of your career. Um, you know, the, the terrible irony of all of this, Oren, is that I, I have a very strong hunch that the only people who email us with the things that we have constantly described as the wrong way to pitch don't listen to the show, so they're not going to hear this part. Yeah, it could be. I guess I the reason I want to talk about it is because, A, I'd love to hear our, our listeners' feedback. Like, is that what you like? I mean, the other thing, obviously, that we've been very conscious of is trying to diversify, you know, like ages and genders and ethnicities and all that of our directors you know and we have a a certain group of people that we network with that we are trying to get out of you know in order to kind of break that and i think we've been semi-successful at that so that's another big thing that we're trying to do is bring a a slate of diverse voices that are (laughs) 
at the same time diverse, but also somehow plugged into a filmmaking network that's probably based in Los Angeles to some degree. So it, it's hard. That, that's the other thing we're looking for. But but we'd love to hear from you if you like that. Do you want to hear from more indie filmmakers or people kind of first time filmmakers? Or do you want to hear more from studio directors that are working on, you know, huge movies? Because we, we can we get pitched kind of the gamut and we usually try to stay right and take the middle lane of people that we think will help us and our listeners figure out what they should do with their career right now. Or if they've got a movie that is under the radar, but I think is going to pop. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, you can can call a movie like save yourselves or something under the radar, but it does play at Sundance and have a big sale, you know, like sure. But like, I don't think that people were talking about that film, for instance, until it came out. Right. But like, because I'm trying to keep tabs on, and also, you know, there's a sensibility that I think we recognize is like, oh, we're likely to be able to talk to those people. I think that we lean into comedy because you and I both love comedy so much. Yeah. And it can be a little so We hate laughing and we cannot understand why people are into that stuff. What? Why why are they doing this? They're 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 ruining the movie. Um shut up. Um well and, just just to finish my thought on that I, I do have a very big guilt about people emailing us a lot and us not responding to them. Uh, and it's you. And because I don't know how to say, Hey, you're not ready to be on the podcast yet in a nice way, or we've had too many people just like you on the podcast already. And that seems like a mean thing to say. So if you email us and you want to be on the podcast and we have not responded to you, there's, there's a reason that right now you're not kind of fitting into like the type of guests we're looking for, but feel free to keep emailing us and, Keep talking to us and keep engaging with us and don't be offended if we don't always respond because sometimes it's it's hard for us to know It's a little say. overwhelming. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff to do. You know, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought that I think I've said on the show before, but bears repeating. The programmer for Kukuloras, which is like a very eclectic, very fun, up and coming, but still pretty prestigious uh, festival. I remember seeing him on a panel once and he said that in regards to getting accepted to festivals you know programmers it's like they're going to the grocery store and they're looking to make a specific meal they've got a recipe in mind you don't go to the grocery store and buy all the food and that doesn't have any bearing on whether or not the food is good or bad you're trying to make a specific thing like if you're making eggplant parmesan you don't pick up a top sirloin right right yeah. So there you go. I think that's the other thing. It's like it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not your movie is good or whether or not you would be really interesting. It's just that we're trying to kind of, you know, craft something. So if you if you have uh, insight into what we are doing right or what we are doing wrong and the sort of guests that you'd like to learn more from, uh, drop us a line at justshootitpod at gmail.com or on Twitter. Yeah, and try um, to do it in a way where you're not pitching yourself as the, as the guest. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good um, move. That's a good move. But, you know, you can have somebody else pitch you, and we will never know. Well, cool. Before we talk to Carissa, I am dying to know, Matt, what have you been working on lately? So I, uh, a few weeks ago, I finished a draft on uh, a screenplay. I'm pretty excited about it. And I did the table read. I was getting a lot of notes on it. And then I was also working on a lookbook that you've seen a little bit as well. And so uh, I was in this funny position where you're kind of, I was getting close to feeling pretty good about it. You know, I was making tweaks and all of that stuff. I was in the noodling phase, let's say. Right. There, there's not big heavy lifting to do in terms of writing on either 
the lookbook or on the um, on the screenplay. And so I was kind of struck with this question of, without any external deadlines, um, how do I know when I'm done? Because I could work on it for for forever, right? You know, there's always a joke that could stand to be punched up or a line of dialogue that could be tightened or, you know, some formatting to tweak. It's all, you know, you could do it forever. Yeah, I can tell you the answer for me. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. if you don't, if I don't have a deadline, then I never, n- never, yeah, yeah. exactly, <laughs> never finish it. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And in, in between, when I realized I wanted to talk about this, and now I created an external deadline in emailing an executive friend of mine to be like, "Hey, I'd love to pick your brain about what I should do next with this." And so that person needs the time to absorb the material in advance of our meeting. And so when I got to get. Did it you to schedule a meeting? How long is it from now? It's uh, uh, so we are recording it today is the thirtieth. It is our meeting is uh, December third. Oh, like four days from now. Four days from now, yeah. But remember, it's like a hundred pages plus a thirty-five page deck. So you're sending and, her the whole script, the lookbook. I mean, I, I think yeah. the lookbook is a very fun read, and you can get through it in like five to ten minutes. But yeah, a- and true and also is kind of mostly what i'm counting on like i want it's less that i'm looking for notes on the screenplay and more like oh who should i be thinking about who should i be talking to like you know who can you introduce me to who would like to read this screenplay is kind of more what i'm looking for strategy than than actual story notes though i would take her story i I mean i i guess the reason i think this is interesting is because if you don't think she's going to read the script or if you think she's only going to read the first 10 pages of the script, then you can focus your time in a different way than if you think she's going to read the whole script. You know what I mean? I, that, I'm so glad you said that. And I think that I used to have that mentality, but you learn the hard way. <laughs> They're like, uh, there's once... 50 empty pages. <laughs> <laughs> ah, were you going to finish the story Just or what? TK, TK, TK. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I've learned the hard way that once you send someone something, once it's out in the ether, you have to be prepared for it to be shared, right? Like if I give someone anything, whether it's a, you know, a shot list or a working document of any sort, I have to be okay with literally everyone seeing it. And like, that's like the best case scenario. What I want to have happen is for her to read it, be like, oh my God, Matt, you're a genius. I know 16 different uh, executives who would love to buy this. I'm sending it straight to Steven and Ron and George as we speak. Forwarded, done. I love George, cannot stand Ron. But yeah, go on. (laughs) So, So if that screenplay is not ready to be forwarded to people, then I should get it ready before I send it to her. And look, I I think that ready can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm fully aware that there are going to continue to be things that change about the screenplay. The second act is going to get tightened. We're going to change the entire description of a different character. We're going to add things. We're going to get things. It's still going to change significantly, but I have to be okay with people reading it if I send it to them is the bottom line right yeah no i think that's an interesting dilemma have you ever done the thing where you're like i'm just going to send you the first few pages and if you're interested let me know 
Uh, no, 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 because that it, it's kind of the same thing. I've been, I've been, like I said, I'm noodling. I'm in that zone where like it would be really nice if this, you know, scene that is a page and an eighth was exactly a page so that the next scene doesn't straddle two pages or something like that. You know, like those kind of real nitpicky, like maybe you're futzing with the margins a little bit or dealing with spacing or dropping a footer here and there. And I constantly have to remind myself, like if you're cheating, then you're cheating and it's good. It's going to show up eventually. Like there's no way to dodge those bullets, you know? And so like, yeah, I can futz a, a line here or there, but the rate at which people, if I make 20 pages, if I squeeze them onto 15 pages of the script, it's still going to take 20 pages worth of time to read. And so it's just going to seem bad no matter, no matter what. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just have to cut five pages if you really need to, to get it down to 15 or whatever it is, you know, that's where I'm at right now. But that first act, right? Like you were joking, if she's going to read anything, it's going to be those first 20 or so pages so they've got to be rock solid. Yeah. Really so that's good. where I'm focusing. And you know? I mean, you hear of the people that also jump to read the last 10 pages. Yeah. You know, I've never had this problem before. I feel much better about my second, first half of my second act and my third act, I think are the strongest. And the first act is the thing that's still a little bloated. And it, it boils down to world building. I've never had something that's this specific with the rules yeah did you watch the beginning of it follows they do a pretty they do it really really economically yeah well it's because the the thing that it follows has that my movie does not have is there is one person in the beginning of it follows who knows the rules and needs to tell them to someone else right no one knows the rules in my movie they have to figure them out along with the audience step by step yeah well, yeah. Have you seen Shazam? I have not. No. Oh, I think in the opening sequence they kind of explain the rules in like a cold open. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like a mythology thing, right? I bet they do like a storytelling yeah. style thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what? So when are you? So that's it. You're sending them. When did did you send yeah, them already? I haven't sent them yet. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I was gonna send it before this podcast, but the first act is finally getting better, and so uh, I'm gonna finish it up before. May I recommend the EOD first, today. The first sentence of your screenplay be something to the effect of like, Brian was fucking pissed. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Exterior. Yeah. Cul-de-sac. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then you don't really need to worry the about the sound of a pistol next anything. to his head. Yeah. Ooh, and, then, and then Brian, voiceover. Um, let me start, a, let, let me start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's my Which, biggest pet peeve of all time. Oh. Well, you got me. I I want to know what happens next. God, I hate it. Um, Look, Breaking Bad does that, you know, like it's it's the way to get in into something exciting really quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's like the like kind of low budget fix for act one being boring, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is you take the most exciting thing from act two and just stick it in there for 10 seconds. Ah! (laughs) Five days earlier. Yeah. Well, great. So I hope you do. I've tried that. I've told Jacob, my manager, many times, actually in the last few months, and I'm going to send him something at the end of the week. And I just never sent it to him. So, hey, 
you know, uh, maybe that's why we have a strained relationship. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm really, I'm the last person you should ask. That's why I love deadlines. Just mm-hmm. tell yeah. me when something is due and I'll just do my you absolute stay best. Stay up until you then. get there. Yeah. 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 And I end up actually liking the stuff I make because once I know that I did it under duress, I'm like, well, let's see someone else make something this good in 14 minutes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, here's the thing, Oren. I don't think you are unique in that. I think everyone needs external deadlines. Oh yeah. I don't, I'm just really impressed with the people who are like, well, I set a deadline for myself. I promised myself I'd be done on Friday. Right. And there's like, people that hold themselves accountable and then there's yeah. the rest of us. Yeah. My wife does that shit. I gen- yeah. I have no idea how she does it. If I were you, I would divorce her. <laughs> yeah when you get around to it yeah 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 uh, we'll so, see you know we'll i might happen. send her an email we'll see what happens um no she's great i was joking no divorce please can't handle more stress in my life um okay cool well should we talk to carissa should we tell how terrible about would your life how terrible would your life be if i got divorced i'd just be like oren you told me to get divorced and now <laughs> now you're stuck with me. You'd be like, what are you doing right now? Like, uh, I'm really busy. Uh, okay, so what about busy. like, so when busy. are you not going to be busy? Hey, man, what's the deal with your Airbnb? Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's, it's pretty good, actually. Um, okay, Patreon. If you guys are not bored of us yet, go to patreon.com slash pod. You can help support us. Thank you to all our patrons right now that support us. Even though we don't talk to you every day, we love you and appreciate you and are very excited to have you all in our camp. I don't know what you would call it, but it's really cool. Thank you. Check out patreon.com slash just shoot a pod for 10 bucks. You'll get a just shoot it hat. As soon as we get them, we are, they're on their way. We're going to ship them out. We, I think we owe about five or six right now, um, but they are going to come. They're on the way. ASAP. Sorry Thanks, about everybody. that. They're, they are on their way. The order is in. Yes. I don't know if you've heard, but shipping is a little tricky right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, cool. Let's talk to Carissa. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. So, Carissa, you're the fourth DP we've had on the podcast. Fourth time's a charm. The last three were real stinkers. Oh, boy. So bad. Didn't even release them. No, I no. Think they've I think I might have great. listened to those. I know Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the other ones. But you do a lot of comedy, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like... You know, we get pitched a lot of people through publicists and stuff. And I'd say we get a lot more like dramas and documentaries pitched to us than comedies. So it's nice to have comedy people on 
every once in a while. They're a lot less funny than you would expect normally, from my experience. Yeah, yeah. We're, what's the saying? It, you know, we take um, being silly very seriously. Yeah, see? See how not funny mm. we can be? Um, Real zinger. Um, so I guess the reason I brought that up is because obviously you've worked with Matt and you've kind of, we've been in the same circles for a long time, but the reason that you're on the podcast is we actually heard from your publicist because you are doing a publicity tour right now as a cinematographer. And we thought that was really interesting. Can you tell us why as a cinematographer, you would hire a publicist and how you came up with the idea to do that? Yeah, that makes it sound so fancy. My publicist on my tour, um, But yeah, it's something I just learned in the last month or so that I could even do. Um, My friend who's a costume designer actually just did the same thing. And because she had a feature coming out, um, actually a couple of features that she wanted to promote and just get her name out there and actually talk about the job that she did specifically on, on those movies. And so I was kind of encouraged by her and a couple of colleagues to do this. And I was really uncomfortable with the idea at the beginning, um, just like reaching out to a PR company because I was like, I don't know if I deserve this. Uh, but yeah, I had a couple, I had a feature coming out, um, which is out now. And then I shot Sketchy Times, a comedy special that's out right now. And I just thought it would be good to talk about my work on it and and get my name out there in, art, in a few articles maybe. Because a, a couple articles had come out already, um, but I was never mentioned in them. And Oh, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. And not that that's, I mean, it's hard, like whoever was being interviewed, like they can't mention every single person who worked on it. But um, I figured this was a way for me to kind of control the narrative a little bit. And yeah, just a good opportunity. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and such a, a, you know, a thing that, you know, for people who don't, who've never you know, run a news website or been on the other side, right? Like I think, you know, running the podcast certainly has reminded me of a lot of different things about the way that media works. And so oftentimes you're just getting a press release, right? And like anybody can write a press release, but uh, having access to the list of outlets who are likely to cover whatever it is you're trying to publicize you know, um, oftentimes like costs money or a subscription fee or, or at the very least a lot of like long, hard work of like collecting all of the different contact addresses of, uh, of the different websites or publications you want to be a part of. But, you know, it's a, it's a thing where people are just going to kind of skim that release and maybe write a blurb about it, uh, and maybe follow up with the publicist and say, yes, we'd like an interview or whatever, or not. You know, it's very easy for people to just say no. And it's also very easy for them to just kind of take whatever that is in that press release, whatever the publicist wrote, and kind of just regurgitate that in some way. You know, especially a lot of these other, these, you know, websites that are really just trying to like churn things out. You know, a publicist will just kind of spoon feed someone whatever it is there is to write. And oftentimes a cinematographer is left out and even a director, you know, like on a TV show, if I'm mentioned on something, it's always pretty darn low at the bottom of the list. And, and what credit there, you know, like it, they'll, they'll bring up some strange credit as the, the thing that they mention, you know, 
So it's interesting. It, it, so controlling your own narrative and kind of taking it into your own hands, I think it's really interesting. Can you tell us what uh, what was the first step? What did you do first? I um, actually knew someone who worked at this company, um, Impact 24. He was kind of a friend of a, a friend who I had met briefly, but I had his contact information and just reached out to him and said what I, I wanted to promote and just said I was interested in um, talking to them about what it takes to to get some articles and promote myself. And so then he connected me with a couple people there and um, they've been really great. And they even did like a media training with me where I met with them and they just told me the common questions I would be asked. Ooh. And and Can I practiced. Um, what the common questions are? Ooh. That's the first one actually, Or <laughs> <laughs> um, Definitely like what, what was your collaboration process on this project? Um, okay, we will not ask you that. <laughs> Uh, what what is the biggest challenge um, of your job and the trick there is you can't like end it on a negative note you have to go like positive (laughs) oh that's great that's really good yeah yeah it's just the challenge is just like trying to not have too much fun working with all these great people (laughs) it's long hours but I really wouldn't trade it for the world (laughs) I kind of feel like if you're negative though that's when you get the press right when like Josh Trank comes out and says like Fox ruined my movie sure but but only if Josh Trank you you know like if you are if you've got a Fox movie but if Carissa was like yeah I guess you know if if you said that Lily was Problematic is horrible. Yeah, that 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 would be news, maybe, but yeah. uh, not that or you said like, that in any way. Budget. If you get like da- go down a, the budget rabbit hole of like dealing with that, then it's hard to come back from it. I think. <laughs> and did you shop around with other PR companies, or were you just like, hey, you reached out and it sounded like a like the right fit, and you just kind of went with it? Yeah, I reached out. They seemed great. Um, it seemed like a good deal, and um, they were really the only company i was familiar with so <laughs> yeah i i wonder if like for well i have a lot of opinions on publicity when i was doing like more viral marketing and like branded content and stuff i felt like a big way to get views and to get heard was to like reach out to basically to do your own pr and like just email like buzzfeed and jezebel and everyone that like that was talking about whatever you're doing and try to pitch them an angle on why you were interesting to them with a, a, the very big caveat that when you were doing this Oren, people went to websites and yeah, now no, that that's they a good do point. not you know like b- this was before facebook and twitter had swallowed up everything and so like being on the front page of jezebel for instance did mean that you would get a handful of views from it and some coverage and it would be meaningful and people would say oh i've been to jezebel.com before i liked that website or whatever you know right so nowadays maybe you try i try to get someone to tweet about your project or something right or you go on a cool on like the coolest filmmaking podcast in the world and then roger deakins is like no thanks um and then you go and just shoot it yeah but i i think as someone who like kind of i guess cares a lot about pr i feel like press releases seem to be pretty pointless like there that's pretty much how you get on deadline and maybe the hollywood reporter or whatever but that's like the only thing that you get out of them well just to kind of just for people who are thinking of maybe doing their own press the the point to me of a press release is for all of the things that anyone who ever wants to write an article about carissa could need are right there 
it's got all the links to it, it, there's like a, a link to all of the different high res stills and links to the trailers for her new movies and you know some great pull quotes and release dates and all of that stuff is in a clean easy to read package with maybe a few ideas for what the stories could be like you know like there's a lead sort of insinuated in there you know and ideally if you're Carissa and you've paid a company to to pitch you they're they're leading with how great the cinematography of this new show is for instance you know or, or what's unique and interesting about it in some way yeah. you know oh do you know how you were pitched to us actually oh boy i i actually don't know what they said <laughs> do you want me to tell yeah, you the subject of the email because the whole thing about press sorry and i sorry we've hijacked that you're we know you're an amazing cinematographer. You're shooting stuff for NBC, for all sorts of things. You have features. You have big things coming out. You're working with stars. You've done awesome stuff. Go to carissadorson.com. Super interesting. But I do think this publicity thing is really interesting because there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast. And even you, who've been doing this for many years, just realized recently that like it's, you it, can do it's it. not enough just to have a network. But if you want to kind of be on people's radar, it helps to get some publicity you know even as a cinematographer yeah i think it's interesting and i i i figured because i know your podcast that we would talk about it because i'm i was already friends with matt and it's just so funny that this is how this happened <laughs> right well so the email so this email subject that we got for you is uh how dp shoots both sketch comedy and horror interview opportunity for just shoot it um and then they they pitched you both your Lily Singh project and your and Darkness and Tenement forty five your feature your horror feature and so I guess they're they're trying to give us an angle right like of what we can talk about it's like, like oh this person is interesting they have two different approaches to things right. totally on the opposite end of the spectrum right? <laughs> yeah and so you know we have some links to some of your work here your website some trailers and things so I guess what I'm wondering is whether whether you realize this now because this is like a new thing that people are doing like Matt said like kind of maybe some of the traditional things that we were doing like five to ten years ago aren't as good at promoting ourselves um, because of just how the internet has changed or is it because you've gotten to a certain level where it's easier for you to get press on things because you're working with like these famous people on famous networks and famous things and maybe on, on buzzy networks too right your your show is for peacock which like people are talking about now you know yeah i think it might be a little of both um like i'm de definitely getting to that level where i think i have to um like things are like this are a possibility and also it could be a new thing i, I really don't know like whenever i've seen crew members featured in an article other dps i just assumed that they were really popular and the article reached straight out to them or whatever outlet and that was probably not the case but yeah i never thought about it before no, no i think that's really interesting though carissa because like it is easy to see your peers on instagram or whatever and think oh wow they're just getting hit up and deadline wanted to interview them to talk about shooting a covid show or whatever and almost always it's the pr company reaching out almost always um, and I think that sometimes people are, if they are writing a very specific profile, maybe they're reaching out directly to someone or, 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 you know, putting it out into the world that they're searching for a specific archetype that they're trying to get to. But oftentimes, I think in this sort of media landscape, it, it is PR. Oren, I, I derailed you a little bit, but I think you were going to make a point about PR, though, that is pertinent. And that's that 
if you're just if a news outlet is just getting blasted with something generic it's easy to ignore it right but what i think you're oftentimes paying a pr company for is their personal relationships right them saying hey guys or hey writer i know that we've worked together before on these things good to hear you know i'm reaching out because i think that you would like the thing that we that I have to talk about now, basically. And so, obviously, it's funny that, uh, you know, your PR company couldn't have known that we've known each other for years, but, like, that's the reason we said yes. Do you know what I mean? And so, I think that for people, and we've talked about this on the show before, but for people at home who are like, well, I don't know any journalists, I think the other move is you can say, hey, I noticed that you wrote about X, Y, and Z, and my film is very similar to them in these ways. And I thought that you were so thoughtful about writing about horror films or whatever that I thought I should reach out because I'm a huge fan. Like, that's the way that you lead. And then the P- then the press releases, just all of the meat and potatoes of what, you, what they need to know, it, should they want right. to actually write about you. Yeah, the, the other thing with the publicists is they have a relationship with studios. So they, they will, like, talk to NBC or whoever and make sure that, they're on the same page. Oh, that's very interesting. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Like promoting shows together. Yeah, I guess not to be redundant or something. But yeah, that was another question of mine because I'm like, I, is this okay? Like that I'm doing this and, but I guess they, they make sure with the studio that it's all, that what they're doing is is cool. That's really interesting though. And, and a thing that maybe if you're doing a one-off short or a viral video or something like that, we never had to worry about. But like when you're shooting a network show, you know, deadlines can't be like, hey, we've been pitched 16 different Lily stories right now. Like, why? What's the deal, guys? Right. Like PR is a little bit about control as well. Right. Like who who gets the exclusive, who learns what, when, what information is available to the public and the higher up you go, the more coveted that information is. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess the the other interesting thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately I've been like posting some breakdowns of my videos and things and like behind the scenes stuff. And I think I heard this on another podcast, but it it seems like as a DP, there's kind of three ways that you could get a job, right? One is, you know, someone recommends you like the networking thing. It's probably like the most likely way you get a job. Two is you work on something that somebody saw and they loved and they found out who shot it, right? And they reach out to that person and it's you. And then three, which is I think kind of a, this I do think is a newer thing is as we're like promoting ourselves and going on podcasts and, you know, posting breakdowns and behind the scenes things on Instagram, like we're showing people like how we work and how we think about things and how we approach things. And I, I think more and more people are interested in that. Like when we had Benedict Spence or Spence or Benedict, whatever his name is, uh, on the podcast, um, he was talking he doesn't listen to the podcast. It's fine, Matt. Don't you worry. You never know. Um, he was talking about these awesome lookbooks that they made for End of the Effing World and like how they chose lenses and he sent it to us. And like me just talking to him about his process made me want to work. I mean, I was a fan of like what the show looked like, but I was like, wow, imagine working with this DP. Like they're so interested in like what lenses say and framing. And I even like the next commercial I did right after that, I like basically copied the, the way they framed their stuff because I wanted it to kind of have that. Um, he, he called it putting the camera inside the conversation, basically never shooting overs, just shooting kind of um, clean 
center locked uh bang on center he had some sort of british term for it so i think like by you by a dp going on podcasts doing articles talking and going beyond the like tell us about the collaboration i mean i don't know i guess that is that question encompasses everything your whole process but um i do think it's fun to hear how artists like costume designers and cinematographers and writers and directors like work and how they think and how they approach things and that would make someone excited to hire you yeah so maybe on that note maybe we should talk a little <laughs> bit about how you work and what you do yeah, yeah i hear a lot of directors listen to this so yeah yeah there you go there you go so so carissa one of the things that you are promoting is a new show sketchy times with lily singh i'm so glad that it's not called skitty times YouTubers love to call sketches skits, and it drives me friggin' nuts. <laughs> but that's just me being a snob. Sketchy, uh, sketchy times, um, which uh, Lily plays every single character, and you know, it was a, it was shot. Tell us about how it was shot, and and the nature of doing kind of the most COVID of all COVID shoots for a network. I don't know if this would have come about if. COVID if we weren't in COVID right now, um, because the whole premise was we shot in Lily's house with a very small crew. Lily played every single character. So we didn't have to bring, you know, bring in more talent who weren't wearing masks. And um, yeah, so I think, uh, and because Lily's been doing that for 10 years, (laughs) it was kind of the perfect time. And um, I have a background shooting sketch comedy. So and was recommended to her and uh, we just kind of clicked right away and shot all of these sketches that and we were trying to make her house look like a bunch of different locations which was a challenge was she the director as well she was the director as well Mm -hmm. wow so it's really you two and the crow's nest right and then i imagine maybe the production designer or or, tell us you said a small crew what does that mean how small of a it wasn't that it wasn't that small it was like a mid it was small for an nbc show so i would say there were about 25 people there and 10 of us were inside the house and yeah the others were kind of in another zone I don't remember how many people were in like the the red zone uh but um yeah there were some people who had to stay outside and only came in like one at a time to set up things and um and then left what's the advantage of shooting in her house couldn't you have just rented a house and that was like fully sanitized and you could kind of she wouldn't have to live with everyone's it's less charming that way (laughs) you know i actually don't know where her house came into play like that's totally true and she i don't think she would ever do it again but uh, (laughs) (laughs) like Um, anyone who's had anyone shoot at their house hey as a person who shot a feature in his apartment you you, your your words to god's ears carissa it's rough it's yeah rough. <laughs> and i think it, it was just her offering as a part of the pitch like hey guys this is easy <laughs> well and, and it, there is, i was teasing but there is something really charming about it right like especially now that she has quote-unquote graduated she's like you know she's a big star and so to do something that feels homespun and maybe returns to her roots in a way but then with an elevated aesthetic and with a team I think is really fascinating and kind of the best of both worlds right yeah we were definitely trying to find that balance um of moving quickly and still doing it like the original Lily style but kind of elevating the look a little bit more did she ever just hold the camera in her hand like a selfie and run around with it 
No, no. obviously not. (laughs) (laughs) But she wishes she could, I bet, every once in a while. Well, can you tell? It was a union show, right? I'm assuming. Oh, that's an interesting topic. Um, Yes, but not Local 600. It wasn't IATSE. At least my portion was not. um, Because we signed, it was the same contract as her late night show, which is under the camera union for late night shows is called NABIT. And uh, I don't remember what it stands for, but it, it encompasses like editors, camera operators, and then the props and lighting and grip were, I don't even know if they have grips. Like it's just so different. Um, right, but like that stage was stage tech people and stuff like right. that. Yeah. yeah stage yeah, yeah. hands. Lighting union. directors. It was local 33. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting. So I had uh, local 33 people lighting for me and they just had never done on location lighting before. Um, and they're lovely people, really great and collaborative, but I and had to- hyper skilled. It's just, yeah. it's just so different. Yeah, like I'm not gonna light the type of stage shows that they, they do. It's a totally different skill set, And um, so I kind of had to- uh, tell them what I needed and even teach them some things because they just weren't used to it. Wait, why did you not, you can bring your gaffer and key nope. grip or so was it, it's interesting to me that they would bring a new DP just for this show, but not anyone else on the crew. Was it mostly like her crew from her late night show? It was and, a lot of you? people from her late night show. I think the people who were in that union, basically props, um, G and E, and there were they, we kind of mix and match. There were new people, and there were some people from her late night show, um, and also people. She really handpicked people whenever she could that she had a longstanding relationship with, like our sound mixer slash boom operator. He usually is, works on her videos, like her YouTube videos, and he's really great, um, Anthony Anthony Nguyen, and um, yeah, a few other people. There's a guy. Um, who normally shoots her YouTube videos as well. And he came on as a PA. And um, so she really wanted to like keep that group. And I thought that was really nice. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Like when people can bring their team along, you know, even if it kind of maybe changes or morphs in some way. But yeah, I, I, I think just to kind of clarify for people at home, the difference between late night and variety show and talk shows are sometimes in strange little slightly different universes in terms of both union rules but also skill sets and what they need to do and so I remember when I was doing stuff on the Warner lot there were situations where I wouldn't be allowed to like I would be allowed to direct in one stage and not another depending on like literally literally like you know a different door if I walk through a doorway all of a sudden I have to hand it off to a person who's you know, a technical director or much like less that. talented than you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just very, very different. But so those, those gigs are good too. Also, if you can get into like a late night or like a daytime talk show or something like that, they're lifers, you know, you never let those jobs go because they pay super well. You've got like really good benefits, you know, benefits and like a schedule that's very clear. So you can schedule a vacation or whatever, like as three freelancers, we're constantly Sounds like really just, boring, man. <laughs> but if you're sending your kids to private school or whatever, you just chill and then hopefully retire on that show. But as a result, 
I think you're cut from a different cloth than, say, a person who has been in the trenches running around shooting college humor and funny or die videos for the last decade. You know, what were some of the things that you maybe pulled out of that toolkit, you know, from the from the, the good old days was because this is a show that's both, you know, really well funded, I guess, but maybe for lack of a better term, but still had the funny kind of restrictions of of a college humor video, you know, were there things where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this. Yeah, I mean, she definitely loves Lily loves the style of just handheld doing snap zooms on a line whip pans like she loves that kind of comedic style so it felt kind of like a hardly working like we used to do at college humor you're like where's a mirror yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) what did she direct like those camera moves would she say like then maybe do a snap zoom on this line sometimes sometimes i just knew or my camera operator knew to to do it and then but she would get specific if she wanted it on a certain line and she's very knowledgeable were you not the operator I uh, was one of the operators. It was I was a cam and I had a B cam operator as well. Oh, cool! What did you guys shoot on? We shot on Sony FX9 cameras. Have you used those? They're like the next people love them, right? Like they're people are really stoked on them. They're great. It's like the same full frame sensor almost as the Sony Venice, um, but it's more of like an ENG style, like the FS7. And the thing I loved the most about it was I could switch between a full frame sensor and a super 35 sensor. And I kind of did it depending on the style of the sketch. Like if we were going for a more shallow depth of field, I would go with the full frame sensor, which sort of brought the characters out from the background and gave it a more cinematic look. And it was also just convenient because we stayed on one zoom lens per camera for the whole shoot. And it basically doubled our focal lengths, which, yeah, we just had to move so quickly. So so you mean like when you're cropping to more of a super 35 sensor size, your lens is effectively, your field of view is getting smaller. So it's like you're on a longer zoom lens. Yeah, that's right. So you would do that in the same scene. Like you're like, oh, let's do the wide shot on 24 full frame and let's do the like tight shot on a 200 but cropped so it's like a 300 so it's like an extreme close yeah sometimes i would switch during a sketch um or sometimes that was just the style of the whole sketch like we did a love island parody which was more of like reality long lens catching people so we shot that all super 35 which gave us longer lenses but yeah my wide lens was a 28 to 80 which is not very wide if you're super 35 but on full frame that's equivalent to like almost a 14 right what's the what lenses did you use zeiss compact zooms oh cool uh, which are they're compatible with full frame they cover full frame i love those uh easy the easy lenses the The ingenue yeah the ingenue me too they're kind of cheap i think but i love them like i mean i think i don't know i i my dp owns a couple and he's always like trying to tell me to use other more expensive lenses but i'm like these are so they're so compact and they're so they look so good um, i've actually looked at buying those before but every time no, i'm like you no if you, if you <laughs> buy those i'll hire you instead of him <laughs> um yeah they're they're really fun so i think i realized why the whole thing is shot from her house it's so that nbc could say in a one woman late night special shot entirely from her home during quarantine that's what I'm saying. That's that's the that's the sales pitch, man. It's a PR it's thing, fun. but you have yeah. 40 people at her home. Like, why does it matter? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it, it's more charming that way. You know, it's just like 
obviously she's not holding an iPhone and doing all of these sketches, but once upon a time she was. And I think that it's fun to like reincorporate some of that fan base or even like people who didn't know her uh, then because they were too young, but now kind of like are familiar with that sort of worldview and want to see something more like that from a creator uh, with that voice, basically. And it did feel like we were stretched really thin. It was really funny at times just what we were working with um, art-wise. Like we shot what was supposed to be in in a CVS and we did it in her garage and they had like one stand for chips or candies. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Where am I it supposed to point the camera? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking, watching the trailer right now. The and it, it looks like a store. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm proud of what we accomplished. <laughs> Listen, do you have to shoot Saturday Night Live live? No. Is, is half of it pre-taped sketches? Yes, but it's more charming to say it's live. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'm curious. So you have a 10-person crew kind of in the house. You have more people outside the house. And you know that you are kind of making a premium elevated YouTube sketch type of show. Like, how do you... So we talked about the handheld cameras and like some zooms and things like that. But how do you approach the lighting to make it feel premium, make it at NBC level, but also not stray too far away? It's not like you have 18Ks coming in on condors through the window or do you and we just don't know <laughs> yeah 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 no How do you approach i the lightning i think our biggest light was an m18 um which like a is 1. a big 8. light okay that's a big light yeah, yeah but we still ran it off of house power like that's the biggest you can go without getting a generator um because they were very adamant against a generator i guess for fire reasons or i don't know but um yeah so it was pretty small but we had lights to work with and our approach was kind of getting lights upstairs and getting lights downstairs and just having them ready and pre-lighting. We had multiple sketches to shoot a day. So just pre-lighting ahead of time. And I like really, you know, soft, big sources. So just trying to bring in grid and diffusion in front of the lights um, to make it look pretty. Um, and that my team was not used to big soft sources at all. They're used to like hanging Lecos on a sure. stage. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or like 50 yep. lights on the ceiling. Yeah, big big directional lights that are yeah yeah that's really yeah. Interesting. But they got used to it. They were they were great. They they learned. And how are you sneaking in backlights and stuff? Do you are you using like pole cats and all that? Those kind of like Sometimes indie just film a, tricks. A quasar tube armed over on a on a C stand. Uh, I think maybe pole cats are over, Orin. I think that maybe a quasar on a C stand is is the answer now, right? Well, yeah, pole cat. If you want to see, like, if you want to shoot in a hallway. And you want to have someone backlit, you can't. I did use a lot of polecats on the, the feature I just did. So. Oh, cool. So yeah. One of which was Orin's, actually. <laughs> of course, that is why I'm pushing. Oh, that's why you're advertising. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Swing and a polecat for, for those that don't know, is it's like a pole that uh, expands and then you can lock it and you can put it between two walls in any room and then any you can two hang walls from it. you want to ruin whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. you want <laughs> i have i have ruined a few walls with yeah, yeah. Cat. but yeah, uh but they let you hang a light when you're shooting in like a small house or an apartment and you want to put a light above an actor but you don't want to see the light in the frame you would use this device from the it's a grip tool right it's a grip department thing yeah like a wall spreader but oh yeah more of a, a shower curtain style yeah Yeah. (laughs) more the diy wall spreader i guess yeah well the other part of 
this shoot was we rarely did wide shots because Lily's playing every single character and we got and you to don't do have to worry about pants if you don't do wide shots. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, um, how how did you approach that though? I'm I'm curious to learn how do you establish location and style and tone? Were you ever comping her in? Like were you ever like doing lock offs where she was doing multiple characters at once or Yeah, we tried to do that. Um whenever we could. There's one of my favorite sketches, the Karen support group. I just felt like we needed a wide shot of all the Karens together. (laughs) Um, So we did that a lock off. Um, There are a few others where we did lock offs, but it's just a time suck. And luckily we had a second camera to pick off close ups, but we just couldn't do a lock off for every single sketch. So it was more just, yeah, trying to get a, a good medium shot to start out and just establish what they're doing. Um, and we had a, a body double. Her name's Nikita Chandri, and she was wonderful. She was Lily's stand-in and body double. So we would have her kind of be dirty in the frame. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially when you're trying to sell one actor for two different characters, I think that's an especially good reason to like shoot overs and things, right? Like just kind of... P- them in the geography a little yeah. bit. Well, every movie, when one actor is playing two characters, has to have the obligatory like fight scene just to prove to us. That's cool. So is that out yet, Sketchy Times? Yeah, it's it's out on Peacock right now, and you can watch it for free. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, I get- as long as you're in the U.S., I think. Right, yeah. America first. <laughs> so I, just to kind of call back for... have a for- lot of international listeners for <laughs> No, they're gonna a, be like, I'm mad. It's a no, Trump no, I, rip. I know. I, um, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> just to call back to the publicity thing before, so like, as a DP, you know, you were saying you have these two new projects you're promoting, but like, are you promoting them because you want people to know that you are the DP on them, or because you want people to know about them? Like, there's no like, there's no back end points or anything on a project like this, right? Where the DP gets paid if more people watch it or anything. Carissa Dorson is the headline news here, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, just know that I did it. You don't have to watch it. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true though, right? You know, not. I mean, that's not what you're saying at all, but like, but maybe, you know, there is, like having a name brand credit is kind of oftentimes the thing that helps you get that next job, you know, like, so being able to say, oh yeah, I did the show for Peacock, you know, is a big deal. Chris, since we're kind of back on the topic of publicity, I think that there's another aspect of DPs in particular, I've noticed kind of leaning into the Instagram and YouTube kind of tutorial sort of world a little bit more. Like, I feel like I've seen you on my feed showing up in like aperture videos or like, you know, on different YouTube channels and things like that. Do you feel like that is an important aspect of your career and gaining more work? I think so. Yeah, I think the social media aspect is really helpful. The Aperture video where I gave a a lighting tutorial was just a fun thing that they reached out to me about. Um, So yeah, that was definitely, I would say, outside of my comfort zone, but really fun and a cool thing to show people. And yeah, I think um, people were texting me that they saw me on on that so that's interesting you say it's outside of your comfort zone because having known you like i know you're like you know a quiet thoughtful you're not like 
kicking down the door and being like, hey, it's I'm DP Carissa. Here we go. Like, I'm the boss. You're not shouting at people or like, uh, you know, you're like a thoughtful DP, you know. Unlike and, most DPs. <laughs> well, but they're, you know, on the gamut of personality types, you know, you're not standing next to, to Maddie Libatique or something like that. You don't have like tattoos or like a trademark hairstyle or, you know, shooting crazy music videos or you know what i mean like there's that type of like you don't drive a flashy car there's a there are those dps out there that really yeah, want your attention is not flashy at all <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right what's interesting to me about that though is that you are also one of the more social media savvy dps that i know you know and so i guess what all i'm trying to say is that like it's interesting for it to be outside of your comfort zone and I would bet a million bucks that the reason that Aperture reached out to say, hey, Carissa, would you come, you know, uh, do this tutorial with us, which gave, you know, which obviously like raises your profile is through something similar that you've done. They probably saw another video or a post on Instagram or something, an article and said, oh, she's somebody worth talking to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think social media became very important and it's weird. I, d I didn't have an Instagram for a while when it, when it first became popular and I was like, no, never. And now I, I do really love it. There's always like the, you know, there are bad sides of it too, like spending too much time on social media. But I think when people see me operating on uh, operating a camera on Instagram, they, they just think of me more and they're like, oh, wow, she can do that. And people just know what I'm up to, which is weird. And and I want to be authentic and I don't want to have this like other persona on social media, but it is helpful for my job. So that's definitely a new thing that's happened in the last few years. Yeah. So interesting. You know, it, it made me think of another project of yours that I know kind of opened some cool doors for you. Do you want to talk real quickly about um, help me with the proper title? serious photos of funny people funny oh yeah funny people serious photos tell us what what was that project you know and, and what was kind of the ultimate result of it yeah years ago i think i started it in 2014 i'm i'm really into photography as you would guess and um but it's just a thing that i've tried to do on the side personally personally for a long time and i wanted to get better at taking portraits of people and i realized i just knew so many comedians through working for college humor and i was also within the UCB community, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And I figured comedians would, would totally be open to me coming and taking their photo. And it turned into, I really wanted it to be like naturalistic photos of, of them not playing a character or anything, just being themselves in their homes. So yeah, it's something that I started doing, um, just asking improvisers mostly because those are the comedians I know if I could come take their photo and we would just have like a relaxed photo shoot and chat. And later on, I added the aspect of asking them a question about their lives and mostly about their, if they have any fear and anxiety in their work or just in their lives in general and how they've been able to transmute that into their comedy, which I think is really interesting because I think comedy comes from a dark place a lot of a lot of times and I love how comedy can be used to bring so much truth and yeah I just think that comedians can be so vulnerable so I started 
this project called Funny People Serious Photos and made an Instagram for it. And yeah, it had, I guess it has a bit of a following. I haven't done it for maybe a year now, but I definitely want to continue. Well, and, and you, it's funny. I remember you, the ones that stood out to me are like the personalities that are the most extreme. Like I feel like Gabris or like Natalie Palamides, you shot both of them and they're like quite famous for being, you know, outrageous. Natalie has like her, netflix special coming out that's so in exciting December. i know oh that's right oh i forgot carissa is the number one natalie palomides fan of all time <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk you know what that now i've got an endorsement all right we'll come we'll we'll circle back on that okay she was um, in townies right natalie was in townies yeah yeah yeah. but uh but yeah she's got a netflix special coming soon um not to tip my endorsement but yeah so i think it's really interesting to see like people who were like really you know, high energy, so quiet. And and there was kind of like, um, uh, you know, again, an unexpected sort of benefit from it, right? Like you ended up going to Just for Laughs to do these portraits, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, somebody found, um, somebody who works for Just for Laughs, the comedy festival, um, found my series and then asked me to come do the same photos, but at the festival, I think as part of their marketing or social media, which was really fun. It was very, it was different being outside of their homes, but um, yeah, I tried to make the most of it and got to meet a lot of comedians. And I think from doing that photo series, I definitely got work just because I met and interacted with so many more comedians or like Madeline Walter. I knew her from a college humor sketch, but then I went and spent some time with her at her apartment and um, just talked. I mean, all of these people are so lovely. I just, getting to hang out with them was a great part of it. But I think after that, I, uh, Madeline asked me to shoot her web series. This was a long time ago, but I, I don't think something like that would have come about without doing this. This is awesome. I had no idea that you made this. These photos are amazing. And yeah, so many great people on here. I think also like there's something about once you get a couple going, you know, I'm sure other people were like, oh, it'd be cool if Carissa took my photo, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) it's a little bit of that to it, you know. So the photo on this website of you is it looks like a medium format camera. Is that what you use to take all these portraits? Yeah, that's what I used. Really? For every every single one? Yep. Even the just for laughs ones? Every single one. Yeah. Oh, man. What a bummer. <laughs> Why is that a bummer? Because these are great portraits and you're like, hmm, I wonder if I can take a portrait like that. And then you're like, oh, well, she shot on a medium format camera. So. <laughs> you know, I'm doing that with myself because um, medium format, like the film, I was scanning the negatives myself and it just was such a process. And sometimes like sometimes the photos didn't come out the way I wanted and I and it was on film. So I didn't know. And yeah, I'm almost making the like switch to digital or maybe I can buy like a $13,000 digital medium format <laughs> camera. Yeah, like a but, awesome um, one. We'll see. I, I do like, yeah, I, I love film and it almost feels pretentious that I only want to do that project on film but well i i think it's you know you're taking things seriously right yeah that's true right <laughs> yeah um well speaking of like awesome looks uh i'm curious about darkness and tenement 45 i i have not seen the movie but i've seen the trailer and it also has like a really awesome cinematic look with like really stylized color 
and stuff. I'm, I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about that project and also how you like how you approach stylized, like a stylized look as a DP. Yeah, I think this was really exciting for me at the time because I work so much in comedy and um, doing a psychological thriller gave me the opportunity to just play with lighting and heightened visuals and a lot of wide angle close-ups that are creepy. And yeah, there are these dream sequences that happen in the movie that were really exciting to me because basically I should say in the, the movie is about a group of people during the Cold War who board themselves up inside a tenement building because they're is an order to quarantine uh, because there's a threat from the Soviet Union. So it's really this movie pre-COVID, obviously pre-COVID a couple years ago, actually. um, And it's just coming out this year. So, yeah, it's we never would have guessed the the state of the world right now. Um, But as far as the approach, we wanted really we wanted a sickly feel like it's a very green muted movie. And the characters are living by candlelight, basically, because all the windows are boarded up. But we didn't want a warm feel to it. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you approach that from a practical level? We we did camera tests beforehand, um, and I basically tried to dial the color temperature as low as possible to to match candlelight and make it basically white. And then we put a lot of tint, green tint, in in camera. And we specifically tested the wallpaper because um, our production designer knew that this the in-camera settings would change the way her art looked. So that's the that's um, I don't often get to do tests like that. So it was cool to actually see what it looked like, and it it helped art team a lot to know that as well. Yeah, especially when you're you know, and listeners, you can check out justshootabout.com if you want to check out the trailer just to get a sense of the the color profile that we're talking about but it is so hyper stylized and i guess it would be easy to underestimate the ways in which things change or or photograph differently than you would expect because of those heavy stylistic choices right and where our aim was to use actual lanterns and candles to light on their own some of the time we weren't all, always able to, to to do that, but we had Panavision ultra speed lenses that were very fast, and we also shot on an Alexa classic camera, but dialed the ISO up to sixteen hundred. Um, so we were in very low light situations, but we were actually able to let the the candles play and actually light our characters a little bit. And how do you was it, it was a Panavised Alexa? Yeah, Panavision helped us out. Um, Alexa Lopez is the rep I always go to there, and she's amazing. At first, I was like, "Oh, I don't know what an Alexa Lopez is." Alexa is talking. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not in my home, by the way. I'm. I'm visiting some friends, so I'm very surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, that's great. Alexa Lopez is not showing. Me. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, and can you? How did you get that job? Or do do you know the director? Or? Yeah, we actually went to school together. So I went to Florida State Film School and Nikki Groton, the director, was in my class along with the two producers, Simone Lapidus and Crystal Collins. And it was a a largely FSU crew as well and mostly women too, which was exciting. And uh, we all worked together really well, even though it was a very, we were, it was a passion project. We were just um, 
all pitching in and working for low to no money. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny. I feel like you know we we talk about how oftentimes you know you'll meet a group of people, a group of friends, and they all move out from the same college together, basically. And I always think of there's like a handful of SFU people who are all kind of around the same age and moved out at about the same time and they'll kind of all typically crew together. And it's a, just a good uh, example of just like, you know, you can go to film school on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. And like, you know, that alumni connection will still be the first few people who are hooking each other up with work, you know? And I would, I would be surprised if there wasn't a few FSU people, on the Lily Show, for instance, you know. Yeah, my AC Ileana Epes was uh, FSU from much later than me. Um, I met her when she moved out a few years ago, but yeah, we definitely stick together, and it's definitely one of the best things about film school—the network. That's awesome. And is um, was the movie already financed when you were brought on to do it? Um, they raised the money through a Kickstarter, and maybe not all the money, but they they raised. 60,000 through a Kickstarter. So I, I was probably, I was brought on before they raised the money. It was kind of a long process actually. <laughs> um, but I wasn't really involved with the the fundraising aspect. Right. Because I see that the director was an assistant to a kind of famous producer, right? The guy that did produce Zombieland and a bunch of other things, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Do you know, w- were there any connections through him that helped get this movie made or distributed or anything? I actually don't think so <laughs> um yeah if there was i'm i, I don't i don't know um, but he i know i know he was supportive of her though like she was working for him like during that whole time and and he let her take off to, to make a movie it's pretty great so, yeah. yeah that's cool and how can people watch that darkness and tenement 45 you can buy or rent it on itunes or amazon probably other platforms as well um yeah so it's just available i'm gonna steal a jordan brady question <laughs> Uh, and ask you, is there anything that you thought we were going to ask you or that you think we should ask you that we didn't ask you? <laughs> well, there are a couple of things that I I kind of wanted to mention, I guess. But sure, one, yeah. one of them is uh, I really appreciated how Lily Singh on Sketchy Times, she really wanted to hire a female DP and she wanted to bring on a d- diverse crew. And even though she didn't know me, she she asked around and, and got recommendations and, um, yeah, she, I think she, she really wanted to make the effort and I appreciated that a lot. And I just love how that, how she wants to, how she brings that into her show too, even in the writing, um, she makes sure the characters have names that represent the world, not just like John and I don't know, just like diverse names and, um, it was really I mean, John is the worst name. <laughs> like a toilet. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, she's super inclusive and stuff in how she puts together. Yeah. And I on- I also think it's important to mention or interesting to mention that she has a longtime collaborator, Taylor Brooks, who edits her videos and has been doing that for a long time. And he um, was another like huge role in this shoot. He basically AD'd the whole shoot and we were like a creative triangle, me, Taylor and Lily, because she was just pulled in so many directions. And I would 
try to pull her out of hair and makeup sometimes or, or go there to ask questions. But Taylor was like another part of her brain and I could kind of go to him as well. So that's cool. I'm curious, actually, just because we don't talk to that many DPs are there. What do you look for from a director that makes you like really enjoy working on a project? Like, like what, do you, what are some kind of like do's and don'ts that you see with directors? I really like decisiveness. And, and I, I like when they don't go for too many takes too, or just know <laughs> when, I don't know, like. Knowing um, enough is enough. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just when they know what they want. And honestly, I, in the collaborative process, sometimes I feel like in the previous podcast that I, of yours that I listened to, um, this was brought up just, um, new directors being afraid to say no to people but sometimes I like being told no like sometimes I bring up an idea to a director and I don't mind being told no because it brings me closer to seeing their vision because they're my boss at the end of the day and um, I'm just trying to execute their vision so I really enjoy the collaborative process and if they challenge me on a few things then I think that'll make a better product that's a really good tip yeah and, yeah Oren loves that answer <laughs> no I do well because I, I think like another way to to think of what you're saying is you know especially with the lead up of the decisiveness is like there's a lot of directors especially newer directors that aren't very decisive and are like yeah let's just set up a medium shot but they or don't. trying to be nice right like nice doesn't help anybody in this case you know there, there's a rude way to say no and there's a polite way to say no but like you're saying just like be clear like if that's not what you want, well, great, saying no is is like an opinion, right? Like giving you guide rails of the like let's frame people in the middle or let's frame people on the left or let's always kind of you know when we have two characters let's close frame them or whatever it is or let's not do backlights for this character because we don't never know where they're coming from. Like all those things, I think get are exciting for a DP to hear from a director, whether they like them or not. Just having having an approach is better than. Just being like, yeah, okay, that's that's good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I'm I'm very rarely gonna be super precious about something. Like, I think if it's uh, if I feel really strongly about something, then the director is probably on the same page with that anyway. So yeah, I would, I, I wouldn't worry about that too much if you're a director. I just did a shoot where our. It's basically the whole thing is one very, 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 very long locked off shot. And the DP, obviously, like hours into the shoot, like pitching, like, what if we do this? What if we block that? Like, just trying to, he was pretty much bored, you know? And I was like, I love the idea. I love that you're trying to come up with ways to add variety. But like, no, we can't like this. The whole premise is this is one shot and it needs to like seamlessly cut back into itself. So we can't just like randomly change things. I know it's more fun to do that but it's going to break what we've already set up. And he was like, yeah, okay, good point. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's fun. I, I love crew that challenges a director and, you know, a director that challenges crew because I don't think, I think you get better at your job much faster when you do that. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. And, and again, I think that there's a diplomatic to approach to all of this. You know, we're not saying be a jerk on set. But, like, I think depending on 
how you're raised. Like I was raised by a family of people who would, they actually, my family is quite, quite direct, but maybe to a fault. Um, (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Uh, But, but you know, you are, you, one learns how to be, you know, wishy-washy as a way of maybe a form of being polite, right? You know, or or not wanting to be too uh, pig-headed or whatever. You know, like it's such a learned behavior that gets taught to you over time, like and avoiding like, conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, especially in this circumstance, you know, um, avoiding conflict can really make everybody's life much worse. Right, and it's not conflict, right? It's just having opinions and not being like scared to say them out loud. On that shoot, I just did like I got what I thought was like a big compliment, which is it was a two day shoot and we had a ton of scenes and, um, I, it was an AD that I had never worked with before. And someone that one of the actors was like, Oh, how, how do you guys always work together about me and the AD? And I was like, no. And then the next day, the actor again is like, you were lying to me about that, right? You guys like work together all the time. Cause we had, even though we like butted heads a little bit, we had like a really good rapport and he, he was like, no way you guys must've worked it. Like I see you guys working together. And I was like, no, that's not my first time, but we, we feel we both feel com- like comfortable telling each other what we think, and it, it comes off as people that have like a relationship. And, and I was very, I was kind of kind of oddly proud of that that it seemed like we had worked together many times before. Yeah, um, I love when personalities mesh really fast on set. I think that's the nature of of this industry a little bit. You become a family really fast. Do you get annoyed by just on that thing? Do you get annoyed by directors that are like very technical that like don't tell you like oh, you know, this feels like a little harsh. Um, can you make it better? But instead say like, what do you think of like widening the that Fresnel light or maybe bouncing it off of like the wall to kind of give, what do you think about directors that are like very, um, are trying to prescribe like technical solutions instead of talking about their goals? I mean, I usually don't mind when a director is technical because I, I work with a lot of different types of directors and some are and some aren't. Um, but I think if they were getting that specific, I would have to ask, like, what it, what is the effect that you want, just so that we're on the same page? Because if you're, yeah, if you're getting that specific, I might still not know what you're asking for. And when they get specific with lighting too, I I feel like sometimes my ego might be a little bit bruised. But it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's better that they say something. If yeah, of course, if they have a problem with it, then I'll be okay with it a minute later anyway. <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm like, hey, that Fresnel's too hot or whatever, it's at best 50-50 odds that changing that specific thing that I prescribed actually results in the outcome I wanted. It's like sometimes it's right, you know? Like there's some things where you can really, you you have a really strong sense of what the lighting setup is really doing. You know, you look at a book light or you look at negative fill or whatever it is and you get a really good understanding of it. But every once in a while, it's like, oh, this is just more complex than I'm realizing. And so tweaking that one little, it's not like tweaking art. Like when you move the potted plant two inches to the left, you know exactly what it does in the frame. Whereas like, you know, light has much more, it's more reflective, right? There's just a lot of different nuances to it. So sometimes it works and sometimes I just make things worse. My favorite was when I'm like, Hey, can we just, let's just put it on the slider and put it over here. 
you know, having the camera over here or whatever. And then the DP is like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of it. And then he'll set it up on like the Dana dolly. And then it's like not quite working. And then he's like, yeah, you're right. Should have done the slider. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I'm uh, my happiest moments. On yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but oftentimes he's right when I'm wrong. Um, well, cool. Well, thanks for chatting with us. We're excited about your movie and your sketch and obviously all the millions of other things that you do. One of the interesting things about DPs is they just work on way more things than directors do. So do, do you have anything cool coming up? I, I can say I'll, I'll probably be working with Lily more. So that's exciting. Um, so yeah, more to come on that. Um, I can also plug something that's totally random, but it's part of my photography. Um, I am launching a Kickstarter soon for my first photography book called Conversations with Dad. And it's launching November 29th. I don't know when this is coming out. Yeah. Pretty, pretty soon. Pretty soon. Cool. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So that's a, a project... Um, it's photos sent back and forth between me and my dad as, as a way of just staying close to each other. And, um, it's basically a visual conversation where we, neither of us, we're we're very quiet people and he's a man of few words for sure. And, uh, it's an activity that we can do instead of talking. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Is he also shooting on a medium format camera? No, he has, um, He's actually dug up some old photos from the 70s that are 35. Um, and he, he just use, mostly uses a digital like point and shoot camera. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Carissa, do you mind hanging out to endorse with us? Not at all. I'm excited. Unpaid endorsements. So uh, inspired by this conversation, Natalie Palamides is a, a actress that starred in Townies, um, which was a series that I did a couple of years back, has a Netflix special coming out called Nate. It comes out in early December, I think December 1. It's a, a one-woman show where she plays the titular character, Nate, and it is bonkers. Carissa is a... I may, Maybe the biggest Natalie Palamides fan. Is it like Eric Andre bonkers? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Like she plays this guy, right? She works out or something. She plays this guy. It's it's about the nature of consent and masculinity. She play. She does not wear a shirt. She wears a jacket sometimes. She, not to spoil too much, she wrestles a, a person from the audience. There's a lot of uncomfortable audience interaction. It's, it, it's quite and uncomfortable. she feeds off of it. She loves it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wait, how have you guys seen it if it's not out yet? I, I went to a taping, actually. I think you might be able to see me in the um, trailer. In the Netflix special? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I was sitting, uh, Amy Poehler is the um, EP on it, and I realized that she was sitting quite close to me, and so and she has a very memorable laugh and so like you get taken out of it every time you're like oh my god amy poehler's laughing behind me amy poehler ruined another thing (laughs) but uh carissa you would probably know is there any way for viewers to watch natalie's first one woman show i don't know uh I don't think it's available anywhere. Um, what was it called? Laid. Laid. Pardon me. Laid. Yes. Which uh, I learned that Carissa is a big Natalie fan because um, I saw her at one of these shows where Natalie plays a egg that lays eggs and then eats <laughs> the egg 
and then continues to lay more eggs and probably lays, I don't know, like, like three dozen eggs in front of you in this giant egg costume. The first half of it is silent. She's like very into clowning. And I remember very distinctly towards the end, she like pulls out, I don't know, something strange. But I remember after the show, you were like, one time she pulled out a raw fish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had gone to like to many. Basically, Natalie would workshop these shows at the Lyric Hyperion Theater. And so I saw Laid probably three times and I saw Nate three times as well. And there would be a different thing each time. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of evolving and strange. But um, but yeah, that's uh, that's my endorsement is Nate out on Netflix. And Um, I have something to add on to that. If you see any of the Netflix promos for Nate, Natalie will be talking to another character on a microphone, like a podcast like setting. And they will be using our microphones that the Sawhorse guys borrowed. <laughs> what? Um, oh, man. In order to record it. Oh, dang. That's so exciting. Well, there, there you go. Like, the, what a small world. We are all connected. Um, but yeah, uh, it is not for the faint of heart. Maybe watch the trailer first and then decide if you want to go in for it. But uh, if it looks good to you, it is worth your time. It's really interesting. It's funny and strange and wild all at once. Yeah. So that's my endorsement. Uh, Carissa, what you got? So I think the one I like the best is I want to endorse taking classes (laughs) in general, but also, um, so I take classes at LA Center of Photography and um, I, I have been for a few years just to kind of stay creative and it keeps me accountable making personal work um, when I'm not working and the community is so great. And now that they do Zoom classes, um, you can kind of access teachers that don't live in LA. And um, like, I just took a, a self-portraiture class um, and the teacher was based in New York and she was actually, I was familiar with her work. Um, her name's Jennifer McClure and I really love her self-portrait work and I got to take a class with her. Anything we can see? Of my work? Of your, yeah. Um, I think so I posted a, I, I posted a couple uh, self-portraits on Instagram at uh, CL Dorson. But yeah, I, I think like most of them I'm, I'm probably saving for a project in the far future. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and I also thought I was going to be a poet during quarantine when I wasn't working at all. And I took a poetry class um, <laughs> taught by Megan Fowley, who's an amazing poet. And I think the the great thing about doing something creative that's not what you do, like, it's just so freeing and there's no pressure. Like, I never claimed I was a poet, so I'm not going to take feedback hard. So it's just a very freeing thing and I learned I feel like I yeah it just makes you a more well-rounded artist and doing stuff like that that's outside of your comfort zone I think is really healthy and fun so taking classes taking classes awesome endorsement where where was the um the what was the name of the photography school one more time Los Angeles Center of Photography cool yeah we'll definitely check that out um I love that idea Especially because I think we're in a world where self-teaching is very common and really great, but but the accountability of it all, like having someone building a structure for you and laying things out and having homework and having, I think that's really helpful. I think that's really great. Well, I guess I'm going to endorse something that's so dumb to endorse. I finally got this 
freaking back-ordered <laughs> camera, the Sony A7S three that I know everyone's been talking about forever, and I was on the fence about whether I should get it, and it's awesome. I mean, I know everyone knows this, but... Uh, I'm I, curious about... Because, Carissa, you had... I think you were maybe the first person I knew who had... Was it a Mark One or a Mark Two? I had the A7R2. R2. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is just older. I got it when it came out in 2015. Yeah, yeah. I'm Shot sure a we... lot of short films on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you feel about the A7S III? It's... Not I... to shed on Oren's endorsement. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think they're all great. The S2, the S... Um, I've shot with the A7 III uh, a lot, like... If I, I wanted to do um, gimbal work, like with a little gimbal, those are great because the autofocus is great if you don't want to deal with a bigger rig. Um, and I'm sure the A7S III has even more features, but, you know, I'm not even following all the changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or what are you excited about? Why are you excited about this camera? Well, so the last time I bought a new camera was in 2008. It was a 5D, Canon 5D Mark II, and we talked a lot about this, you know. Usually we're shooting with like Alexa or Red or whatever the camera is that, you know, I guess I shoot on Alexa a lot. But, you know, I don't own an Alexa and it's always like on a job. And uh, if I'm ever just have an idea and I want to shoot a test or I want to pitch on something, I'm like, oh, it'd be cool. We can do this transition or that transition. I'm usually just shooting it on my iPhone or trying to shoot it on my 5D. But like Carissa said, nothing is ever in focus on these freaking large you know, format lens because it has the 5D has like a tiny monitor, a tiny screen. And I, my, I don't know. I just like thought it I, for many, many years, I haven't shot anything by myself. I'm just always working with like a bunch of people and a crew. And I, during COVID and quarantine, I started shooting some things on my drone and my iPhone and my 5D. And I was like, I think it's time to get back into that, like the excitement of making your own stuff. And I just want something, Matt and I disagree with this, about this all the time, because Matt's like, you could get an Alexa Classic for like five bucks um, to rent, but but I don't want a, to rent a camera package. I want to have something in my closet. I also got that the Ronin S2, like the stabilizer, the gimbal, and a little sound package, um, you know, just a couple, like this XLR adapter that connects to the Sony A7S III that has a little shotgun mic and can work with a lav, and I can just shoot stuff totally by myself, like with my kid or with my wife. And that that's what this camera is for. It's not to shoot like a spec commercial or like work on my room. Maybe it is. Also, we have a, a listener, Nathan Blackwell, um, that's also a director. And he's shot all these Nike spots that look amazing. And I was like, what did you shoot on? Is this like 35 or IMAX or what? What is it? He's like, oh, no, I just shoot on a Sony A7S II. I just like mess around with the color a lot. All low light stuff. And so it's just so insane, the low light stuff. You could just go out in the middle of the night and shoot with this camera. And it looks awesome and it shoots 240 frames per second and it shoots 10, you know, a 10 bit 422 um, color. It's it's awesome and it's tiny. It's way smaller than my Canon. You can just kind of carry it around your neck and it has a built in stabilizer, it has actually pretty good in camera audio. Also, it has a flip out screen. So if you ever want to shoot yourself, which is always like a problem I've had, you know, with my 5D, like I could never frame things because I couldn't see what I was framing. Um, so anyway, super excited about it. Now I just spent way too much money um, on a new camera package, so I better I better shoot some stuff. Time to shoot some I'm stuff. To, it's kind of like how you say about taking classes; like you're kind of accountable to some spending money, and so part of it is like yeah, just like having my camera package in my closet. And of course, we know we can all shoot things on our phone, but I feel like this 
you could actually shoot something that you could show an agency or show someone and be like, this is, this is the idea or here's like a short film or something. So I'm very excited about it. Very exciting. (laughs) Very exciting. Awesome. Well, Carissa, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the horn with us. Where can listeners uh, keep up with you and learn more about uh, what you're up to? Mostly just Instagram at CL Dorson or CarissaDorson.com. There you go. Perfect. Uh, well, if you want to check out all the things that we talked about on the show, you can go to JustShootItPod.com. Uh, you can follow us across all social media at JustShootItPod if you want to be updated on the things that we are doing the things that people that we are talking to shows coming out reminding you of old shows that maybe are pertinent to uh to your interests currently uh we're doing a super good job of updating things and keeping things fresh um and reminding you of all the fun things that we're doing so just shoot a pod thanks to our social media manager that's right shout out derek uh thanks buddy uh, and you can follow me at mr matt Edlo. and i'm on instagram at o Kaplan. i'm on twitter at smitey Pileg. and you can also email us questions at just shoot at gmail.com this episode was edited by sarah weirda our social media manager is derek aiello our webmaster is ewan williams and you're listening to music from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.